Hello and welcome to a new episode of Lowdown. Today I am delighted to be joined by Phil Denton, author of the first 100 days leadership lessons from the football bosses. Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Connor. Phil, tell us a bit about yourself, your current role and love for football. Um, yeah, so myself, I'm a head teacher in a, in a secondary school um, and uh, I've, done, I've done that for the last four years after, after various roles in schools. Um, it's interesting speaking to you because I've worked in the Middle East, Middle East as well. I worked in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for four years um, and set up my own um, football club out there, which is still going, Jeddah City. Um, and we started off just coaching 10 kids and then it grew to about 250 a week with you know loads of coaches and all that busyness that you got you, you start being a football coach and become more of an admin than uh, than anything else um but yeah that so that's uh, my, my current role uh, kind of career um yeah this year we've we released the uh, the first 100 days which was which has taken about two and a half years to put together and we've um, met people like um Oli Gunnar Sean Dyche Sam Allardyce, David Moyes, a few other managers, people in education and business. Um, and it's all about what the top managers do in the first 100 days to make them successful. And then what people in education, business and, and wider life can learn from that. And I suppose, I mean, your fellow co-authors, the current Tranmere Rovers boss, Mickey Mellon. I mean, how did your relationship with him develop to a stage where you agreed to run in your school like a football club? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, when you say it like that, it's quite bizarre, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> it's um, it, it started because I, I met Mickey on a Tranmere away game. Um, I, I went down with um, my wife, who managed to to trick into a weekend away to Stevenage to a spa hotel, which uh, which happened to be near the ground that Tranmere was playing the first away game of the season at. So uh, once she got over the the, uh, the the anger of that. Um, I was down in the um, gym in the morning and uh, bumped into Mickey there and we got chatting about everything really. Um, initially just like usual fan stuff, I suppose, if you met your team's manager. Um, and then we started to talk about what it was like being a head teacher, the similarities of being a, a head and a football manager. And um, then he just asked me if, if I could come and help them a bit at the club. Um, and in the sort of process of that, um, we talked about working on a project together and he mentioned about the book. Um, and then when we were talking about this first 100 days, I said, well, I'm becoming a head teacher from being a head of school. So previously I'd had an executive head in the school and then I was moving on to having uh, just being kind of flying solo, really. Mm -hmm. um, so we said, well, why don't we learn about this first 100 days, which was his idea for the book. And then why don't you run your school like it as we're going along? So it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know, and so uh, it, we went for it. It worked out really well. And, you know, there are so many books on skill acquisition when it comes to education, when it comes to sport. I mean, Mickey Millen, I have a quote here from him where he remarked that we do coaching courses, but we're actually never taught how to manage. Why do you particularly think there is such a huge vacuum when it comes to these leadership materials? Well, I think you get in certain positions and everybody probably gets there you get in a position usually because you're good at the job that you do. Um, and so people assume that you will then be good at the next job that you do, but the next job that you do might be completely different. So being a football manager, another way that, that Mickey puts it is it's a bit like doing your A-levels and then the next day being told that you're teaching the course. 
um, and in education as well. You know, you've got lots of brilliant teachers who will often be promoted into roles of, of management and leadership, which have got nothing to do with teaching, really. They, um, my job is very little to do with teaching. Most of it is to do with people, HR, PR, buildings, finance, resources. So it's so important that when you do move up into your next role, whatever it might be, that you start thinking and preparing for that because it won't be the same role as you've been doing in the in your current position. Probably the role that's got you to where you are has got very little to do with the role that you're just about to enter into. It's very interesting you say that. Um, in recent weeks, I've been listening to the psychology podcast with Scott Barry Kaufman, and they had Daniel Goldman on who's the author of Emotional Intelligence, which I'm sure you'll know. And he was asked about that age-old debate between IQ and EQ. He says IQ will get you into the job. EQ will ultimately determine whether or not you're successful. That's so true of football. But perhaps, Phil, I mean, could you shine a light on any of the guiding principles there are in having that initial successful 100, first 100 days stint at a football club? Yeah, yeah. So we, we distilled it down into three key areas and and uh, one of the things that really surprised me when, when when we wrote the book was that it took until chapter four for day one to actually begin so for the manager to be actually in the dugout first game of the season was chapter four a lot of the other bits were around the um the preparation so first of all managers have a really strong purpose they understand exactly why they are there. So take somebody like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Solskjaer, when he came in, knew exactly what his role was in the, in the organisation. Um, the the, uh, the CEO, Edward Wood said to him, you know, don't worry about winning Champions League. It's not about that. This is about bringing a smile back to people's faces and playing our young players again, back to some of those age-old United roots. So we understood the purpose and it was never about him. It was always about the football club. So he understood that kind of purpose. Then the managers usually get a really good get to grips with the people in the building really quickly and they understand their team. So they start to look at who um, I've heard uh, Damien Hughes on the high performance podcast called on the cultural architects. Who are the people who set the tone for the team, for the club, um, and who are the people who are maybe your innovators? I use the, the a graph, the diffusion of innovators. If you ever look at that, um, it's, it's you know when you start off with those people at the beginning that are the innovators, those people that will jump on board or create the ideas for for change or for for sustained development. Then you've got your early adopters, the people who attach to them. Then you've got your early majority, your late majority and your laggards and your laggards are the people at the end who are your most difficult ones. Everybody's got them and everybody and every team, every business, every school, those people who just seem like they don't care and just seem like they're not, they're, they're, they don't like change. They're the people often that, that are the ones who take up the most time and unnecessarily many times the managers who are really good go for the people that can make them help them be successful, help the club be successful as quickly as possible. So the managers understand the purpose, they understand the people. And then finally, they, they get to grips with the position. So somebody like um, Sam Allardyce was brilliant at this. So he understands the position that a club's in really quickly. 
Um, he uses a, um, a stars model. So he decides whether they are a startup. Well, most clubs usually are a startup. Um, turnaround, um, accelerated growth, realignment, or sustaining success. Most of the time in Sam Allardyce's jobs, it's turnaround because the clubs are spiralling down or are out to go out the Premier League. And, on, and he didn't do it this year with West Brom, but he's done it with Sunderland, Everton, Crystal Palace, Bolton. He's done it with so many teams that he's taken on that have been really struggling. And he's found a formula that works, but that's been helped by the fact that he's understood the position. So in the book, we talk a lot about how Sam Allardyce really analyzes that position that the club's in and breaks everything down into small parts and says, you know, if you improve this by this much, you'll get a much bigger, out, better outcome than the one you currently have. If you start to follow my blueprint in training sessions about defending corners, you'll start defending corners better. So it's it's down to that level of detail, but broken down into lots of little um, uh, user-friendly parts of the players and the people in the building can understand. So those are the big three components really are getting to grips with a, with a purpose, understanding the people that are around you and then getting um, uh, the position right. And that gives you a start from day one so when you walk into the, it gives you that kind of opening day um, impetus where you actually are in, in, in that manager's hot seat, if you like. There's a lot there to digest all useful knowledge, Phil. But what I want to do is take you back to the start. Really intrigued to delve into this more about saying the first day at the club is many people's chapter four. But one guy you interviewed, I'd argue with that, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'd argue his chapter four is his chapter one in terms of understanding the position, the purpose and the people there at the football club. I mean, in the book, you spoke about his adoption of the Kaizen principle, self-improvement by Toyota. He literally knocked down the walls at Carrington. Could you tell us a bit more about your time with Ollie? Yeah, oh, it was amazing. I mean, Ollie um, is exactly what you see on the on the television screen. Um, what I was so impressed about when we arrived was... Um, Carrington, you know, when you when you uh, arrive at a world famous club, you envisage walking into some kind of blue chip company, um, and it, it is kind of star spangled when you get there a little bit. But the road down there's kind of a dirt track. You're met by a fella at the gate who's about a mile away. Who's a big United fan, big smile on his face, happy to see you, welcomes you in. You drive down, park up. And then when you walk into reception and we spoke to the receptionist, she's been there for 50, 51 years. And the way she spoke about Ollie when we said we were there to see them tells you everything you need to know. So her name's Kath and she used to be Samat Busby's PA as well. And she said, you know, all right, I'll try and find him now. He's always sneaking past me. I'm not sure where he is. So she was ringing around going, I'll get him for you. Don't worry. He's sneaky, you know, and you can't imagine one of the, and well, now one of the most famous managers in the world being spoken about by the people who work in the building like he's a naughty, a naughty schoolboy. Um, and he said, right, I've got him now. He's just in a meeting, um, but he'll be down in a minute. And they were actually just in a meeting, which was, he told us when he came down, was about looking to spend about a quarter of a billion pounds in transfer fees. <laughs> so it wasn't just any old meeting. It was... a uh, when they when they'd finished the meeting, which was sort of ten minutes later, the two of them came down the stairs to meet us. They didn't 
they didn't say right we'll send them up or we'll get somebody club secretary to come and get you and bring you up to this grand office it was the, the him uh, ollie and mick feeling walking down the stairs like i don't know like you were greeting somebody just come into your home um really friendly but very open Ollie takes you through to his office, doesn't let you open any doors, makes made made me a coffee and Mickey a coffee when we got there, offered us, you know, a biscuit and things. And you sat down thinking, is this I'm, I'm just a football fan, like I'm sure most other people listening to the podcast are. And I thought, gosh, is this real? You know, what, what am I what am I doing here? Um so when we sat with him, yeah, and started to talk about his first day. His first day was very much the night before rang up. Um, do you want to come in and do an interim role? And the next day being at Old Trafford in front of the cameras, um, speaking to the press, speaking to the players, speaking to the coaching staff. And, and at night he went out on the staff Christmas do and gave a speech to all the staff at work at Carrington and had a dance with some of them. And, you know, like you, know, like you would start any normal job i suppose but in it in it he didn't feel that pressure and, and and you're right in that he didn't know he was going to be in that role but he'd been keeping close tabs on united and um, for quite some time as he would as he as a fan really so he knew about the team he knew about the club from playing there um, and when he arrived i think he brought back a great joy to to uh, i mean i live in salford and the joy that he brought back to the people immediately around him kind of dissipated amongst Salford and Manchester because people were so happy that somebody who loved the club was back. So we had that kind of winning start. So what he did as, he, as time went on was he and McFeelan realised that what had happened at United is that those um, people have got United wrong um, through no fault of their own, but I think the previous managers had seen United like that blue chip company, Champions League winners, you know, 20 times Premier League winners. They walked in seeing that. They didn't see that this was an old-fashioned, traditional, hard-working football club that represented first and foremost. And, you know, having lived in the Middle East, I know how massive United are in the Middle East and around the world. But first and foremost, it represented the working class people of Salford and Manchester. And they had to reflect those values in everything that they did. And so that's what Ollie brought back. So when he took down, the, he physically took down walls that were separating people at United. They were separating the, the youth coaches from the first team coaches, the, the youth analysts from the first team analysts. So all those sort of separations were brought down. And they got the football side of things all together and looked at the marketing, the PR, the player liaison side of things and said, you're all important, but you're not part of the first team coaching staff. You're a different entity. So he brought the right people together and moved other people apart without upsetting those people because they understand, understood where he was coming from and they understood that it, it was for the better, the betterment of of United and it's never about Ollie that came across really strong it's never about Ollie going to source coach always about Manchester United um, and he does the right things for United when you when you hear people criticise him because they say he's he's soft or he's he's not got that hard edge like I can assure people from spending time with him 
that he does, but he doesn't have that. It's not emotive. It's not a, I'm going to scream and shout and bawl at players. It's not that. It's if you aren't giving your all for the football club, you'll find a way to move you on and make change. Eventually, that will work out better. If he's in a situation where he can't do that just yet, where he needs to keep hold of a player for a time being, if, even if he thinks, well, that's probably not the player that I would have, he's great at, at building that rapport with everybody. And that's why you see United players now, more so than perhaps in the previous regimes, taking on more social responsibility outside of football. I think, I think a lot of it's down to him and the example that he sets. Doug Lamov is someone I don't know if you're familiar with. He's yeah. done a lot of he's done a lot of literature on coaching on teaching itself, and he was on a podcast of a friend of mine recently. And what he said struck me, where he remarked, "There's no one 100 solution. There's a hundred one percent solutions." And you know the small things like that, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer making you cups of coffee, you know, holding the door open, you know, the small things all add up. I mean. In your own mind, what does that say about his style of leadership? His leadership, first and foremost, is very authentic. It's very authentic. He is a very authentic person. Um, he um, is so he's got skills-based leadership. He's got um, in that he he hones his craft very well, and he does that. I think that's really important that he has this, the 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 um, the technical skills to be a very good coach. Like they. They played, um, they just played Everton, I think, when we met them and, be, and beat them or drawn. But he was telling us about Ancelotti at the time. He told us about Ancelotti's tactics just as we were leaving on the whiteboard. He said, this is why we were man managed to turn the ball over. This is what Ancelotti's teams do. This is how we press them. We turn them over. When the ball. So that kind of technical detail just came across. But his authenticity can't help but win people over. And then he was very values-based, so he knew about United players. He understood the club, so he talked about um, United players having power, pace and personality, and that going back to um, Sir Alex's days. Those are the sort of players that we target. So it's quite clear then for your recruitment team, not just your, your team of players that are sat in the dressing room, but the team around that team, that's the sort of players they want to add to the squad as well. So he's got very, he's very values based. He's very clear in what he's trying to do. He's authentic and consistent. And I think those sort of things make him the right person for United. It's not necessarily the right thing for everybody. You know, we talk about um, leadership as well goes, not just with the manager. It also goes with the board and the CEOs. And too often you see appointments made and you think that's the wrong person for that role the wrong person at the wrong time at the wrong club. Yes, they may have been successful everywhere else they've been, but you can see why there's a higher chance that that might fail. So I think he is the right person for United now. Um, and I think what, what you can underestimate about Solskjaer as well is his self-confidence, massive self-confidence. And he, he was the first manager to invite um, Sir Alex back to the Carrington. He invited Sir Alex back and it was Sir Alex that was nervous about coming back. He wasn't sure about what he'd say to the players. He said to him that he'd been up all night um, thinking about what he was going to say to them, what advice he was going to give them. Um, 
But the, Ollie and Mick were said, you know, it's we're, we're totally they they were totally comfortable in their own skin, um. So they didn't feel they just felt it was a to, a normal thing to do. Whereas there was a story of another manager who I won't name which one it was, but um, Ollie was there actually at a training ground uh, be, before he come back as the manager, and that manager didn't even know who Solskjaer was, didn't realise who he was. So you can see that he had that massive connection with the club, whereas previous managers maybe didn't have that. Um, and there were also mitigating factors, you know, that, that there, are, there are lots of players that played for those previous managers that said they really liked playing for them, that they enjoyed them and they had success, you know, Mourinho, Van Gaal, Moyes, um, all had success um, after um, afterwards, I mean, Moyes had a very difficult, almost in, impossible role when he took over. So we're not being critical of those previous managers, but I just think Ollie was the right person at the right time for United when he came in. Very strong indictment of the previous incumbent, but I mean, one other manager who had probably not the same magnitude, but he did have a tough intro when he took over the job at Burnley was Sean Dyche. And he's somebody, you know, who's keen on the use of sticky words at Burnley, that phrase of legs, hearts, minds in his case. And I suppose, Phil, it is a principle which you've incorporated into your own leadership style. Could you please tell us a bit more about how you apply this principle within your own school environment? Yeah, so, that, so um, yeah, Sean Dyche talks about this. the sticky words are words that, that he repeatedly use. Um, and he, um, he will often keep repeating things and then he looked for the players to start repeating them as well. So he, he, he talked a lot about Kieran Trippier and him making, making light sometimes of, of some of the things that he'd said, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a positive way, you know, he wasn't undermining them at all, but he, he'd start repeating things. And one of his coaching staff said to him, you're not bothered about the players are, you know, having a bit of a joke with, with your, some of your catchphrases as it were. And he said, no, not at all, because it's actually, shows it's going in, it shows that that language is working. So, yeah, and, and we use it a lot when when um, we deal with different situations. So in my school, we have um, values like, like um, Sean Dyche has got the legs, hearts and minds that he he picked up um, a lot of that from Brian Clough. Um, we talk about love, faith and hope as a Catholic school, and you could pretty much apply those principles to everything. So if you're talking about the way we behave, if you behave in a way that is full of love, faith and hope, it doesn't mean that you, you don't have difficult conversations with members of staff or with students or with parents. But if you always do that with those values in mind, it can help. And it also makes it clear to, to the people that you work with, again, that you've got a clear values-based approach to thing, and it's not just on the whim of, of an external body. So in schools in England, you have an Ofsted, which is our kind of watchdog body and the temptation can be to swing from pillar to post about what they're looking for um but but when you've got those sort of values that Sean Dyche talks about you know what you're getting um you also have to communicate so whereas football managers have to talk to the fans I have to talk to and head teachers have to talk to parents and boards of governors and students and the wider community so if you've got sticky words that people understand and that could hold you to account that, that you're staying true to those words. 
it helps your communication. It helps people to understand you more. And I think as a, as a, as a leader in any role, when people understand what you're trying to do, they're much more inclined to, to be supportive of that. And even though they might not agree with some decisions you make, as long as they understand the, um, the rationale for it and that it's coming from a good place, you're not going to get that kind of real um, kickback or resistance to what you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the sticky words are really crucial. And they help with Sean Dice again, because we go back to those three things that might make managers successful. Well, Sean Dice understood what the purpose of Burnley was. He understood that the purpose of Burnley is to represent working class people of Burnley. Burnley's a really, again, another like, like United, really, very industrial, northern uh, mill town, factories. And he got across to the Burnley fans that he was going to re represent that by talking about legs, they're going to run hard for you. For the fans, they're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna see sweat on the shirt. I think was his quote from his conference. Um, the hearts, they're gonna, they're gonna be committed, and then the minds, we're gonna, we're going to work on the the technical side of things to improve them as a football team technically. And I think he's been true to that in the time he's been there. So when there are players that he can recruit, he knows again if he's looking at legs, hearts, and minds. Again, you know, if you were one of their scouts, you'd know what you were looking for. You'd have a pretty good idea just from those three words. So I think the sticky words can be really useful for people who you're working with, people who are the onlookers, and then a wider community of people that are kind of judging you and, and uh, making decisions on, on you in the media or in, in, a, in a school sense in the local community. And zooming out once more, Phil, looking at the bigger picture, I suppose from listening to you in previous podcasts, reading articles and indeed from the book itself, there seems to be two schools of transformational leadership and managers take on a new position. One would be Solskjaer and Deist are a lot more, I wouldn't say people-centered, but they're more in on the culture. Whereas on the other hand, you would have Sam Allardyce or David Moyes who seem to be a lot more analytical. I mean, could you offer any insights into that approach? Yeah, I think Moyes, I mean, at West Ham, he's, he's again shown what a great manager he is. Um, he looks at, uh, he talked a lot about when he went into West Ham the first time and looked at the running stats and, and gave them the kind of purpose, if you like, from um, what you might call a burning platform. So it's a good way of, if you are trying to get people on board with a certain idea, you give them a burning platform, as in, if you don't get off this burning platform, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So you've got to get off it. So the burning platform was, if you don't start running more, you are going to get outrun by every team in the Premier League. So the first thing we're going to do in training is we're going to start looking at fitness and then movement around the pitch to get up and down, across left, right, pressing, um, recovering, all those sort of things. Whereas Allardyce is similar, very similar. Um, he'll look at it and say, right, you've got 46 games in an in a, in a, in a EFL season or 38 in the Premier League season. And you need let's break down and i think he, he does it, he did it in eight segments of eight matches so he broke down and said right in these eight matches we need to win this many points so if you win this many points great um you're on track obviously more you give yourself a bit of breathing space less it means you've got to win against some of the bigger teams in your next eight matches so it's very pragmatic 
um, and very much based on the numbers. Um, and Allardyce would be more of that kind of, he would be more of an observer. So he'd watch the way things are going, he'd bring in his own team, he'd really understand the people um, around the place. And, and, and the impression that I got was he'd be a little bit more of um, step back from the kind of hands-on coaching role that you might see from um, other managers, but just as effective in those situations. It, it's he, he's, he's very much like a very fast, quick turnaround. So I, what, what was really interesting was there was with the comparison. I think there's lots that that people can see from Moyes and Allardyce in that in that pragmatic way of leadership. So Allardyce would go in and, and with it like a 30-day plan of improving defensive um, operations of the team. And he said, you know, if you follow these principles and we'll practice them every day, you will reduce the number of goals you concede. And then when we met with Tuesday Humby, who was, who's, um, was nominated for the um, Global Teacher of the Year Award and turned around to school, she followed almost exactly the same principles in her school, which was to the teachers, which was, if you do these things, you know, in the way that you deal with children entering a classroom, in the way that you work on corridors, in the way that you start your lessons, you will reduce the number of behaviour issues you have. So it's that quick, that, that was a very quick turnaround. The difference in the situations, though, between somewhere like United and, and Burnley as well, because Burnley were doing okay in the championship at the time, is that there was no burning platform. Ollie didn't have to go in and say there is a, you know, you're going to get relegated unless you do something. They, he was trying to accelerate the growth rather than turn something around. Um, and so you need to take a different approach, approach because of that situation. And that's what Allardyce and Moyes recognise. I think when you go back to um, you know, when Moyes went in at United, and this is not necessarily what he said, um, that was a situation that not just Moyes, but lots of people didn't really understand. Now, if you look back now, um, that team was, it was incredible that that team won the Premier League the year before, incredible. And then you also had Ed Woodward, that was his first 100 days, he'd just taken over. Moyes' first 100 days, so there was uncertainty about um, his his first 100 days was almost diluted a bit because we knew so far, he knew and everybody knew so long before that he was going to be taken on the role. So that 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 was was possibly, again, one of those things that in hindsight, you'd look back and think, well, everybody could have done that differently. Everybody should have, should have looked at that with a different pair of, pair of eyes, really, because it was such a, a difficult situation to unpick. Um, but yeah, Manager, managers that are really successful understand the situation that they're going into really well. And I think that's what the managers that you mentioned, there, that's why they're Premier League managers at the very top level, um, because they know how to do that. And in the midst of all this research, Phil, and travelling up and down the United Kingdom interviewing these top-level coaches, Mickey Mellon went into your school and began to run it like a football club, or at least tried. <laughs> Perhaps you could tell us a bit more about that day he set off the fire alarm. Oh yeah, yeah. That was um, that was a uh, yeah. We we had a a, a dinner and uh, he he said um, we were talking about the last ten minutes of matches and um, managers 
the managers often don't prepare for those last 10 minutes of matches when they're like throwing centre-backs forward. Um, and I was saying, yeah, it sounds really obvious. And he said, well, do you practice for things that are unexpected? And I said, well, we have a fire alarm, yeah. And he said, well, who knows when the fire alarm's going to go off? And I'll say, well, the site manager, the business manager, me, um, and we do a few checks. And he said, well, what would happen if you just set it off and didn't tell anybody? And I said, I don't, I don't know. You know, unconsciously, you kind of prepare for these things. So we did it. We just set it off. And it wasn't quite the result that, that I'd hoped for. So um, it was it was really busy. There was not the kind of order that you'd expect. And it just showed how much you, you kind of preempt these things with letting people know. Um, and when we just set it off at a really inopportune time, you're dealing with lots of emotions that you don't necessarily expect that you can't predict. So if you just set a fire alarm off, first of all, you've got the children haven't been prepped for it at all. There's not been a, like, there's going to be a fire alarm in the next two weeks. So they're all like, what's going on? Is it real? Is it not? You've got the staff asking the same question. You have some staff that are upset because they're doing science practicals or they just put pizza bread in the oven that they've just been making. Or So you've got emotions coming out. You've got people not necessarily known in the building that you knew, you didn't know they were in the building like visitors or, or that you knew they were there but they're not on the right list so all these things that you don't know until an actual crisis happens um and you learn an awful lot from those situations and although i must admit when i was walking back in you know i was thinking oh my gosh what a mess i can't believe i just did that the actual learning afterwards was uh was was really was really good so it was, uh, but it was funny, you know, and I was telling him on the drive home and he was laughing, he was laughing his head off. And I was saying, you know, it just goes to show though, when you're watching a football match and you see somebody go down to 10 men or, you know, it goes to the last five minutes and goalkeepers are running up for corners that, that those are the sort of things that you have to practice for, because if you don't practice for them, then um, yeah. You, you don't know. And interestingly, I went to watch Tramier on Saturday and they, they won the first game of the season. And of course, what happens seven, eight minutes to go with seven minutes injury time as well added on. They had a man sent off. So they went down to 10 men. And then, I, I, and I think Mickey would say as well that he learned a lot from writing the book. Um, I saw him call, call over a key player. The key player came over. Mickey gave him instructions about what was going to do, what they were going to do. Back they went on. And then, they held out for the one nil one nil win, um, but that's fascinating to see for any leader is that um, almost disaster planning. We we did a lot of it in school afterwards that really helped. Having COVID um, for that helped us to be really calm during that because we planned for things like what do you ha what happens if a school trip happens and one of the children doesn't come back. And I know it's it's something that nobody ever, ever wants to think about, but we put a plan in place for that to make sure that we're not scrambling around. What happens if, and we asked people on the spot, what happens if they ring you and you point at somebody and you're the only one that's available? What are you going to do on the leadership team? And I think that can be something that's very valuable for, for teams is what happens in a worst case scenario and are we prepared for it? And you need to refresh it as well because after after a while, no, you're not you're not as prepared for it as you as you might be if you just let things things roll. So, in the new year, that's what we'll be doing again with my leadership team in the school. We'll be looking at 
disaster planning, what happens in that scenario. One, one of the things that I think the last sort of two years has showed, though, is, is that the human beings are very resilient and capable of, of reacting to, to pretty much any, anything that's thrown at them very quickly. So a kind of calm head to things can really help. Ultimately, you would say the project has been an overwhelming success in terms of improving your own style of leadership. Um, what's noteworthy is Mickey Mellon himself has said that, you know, even researching and writing the book has given him moments to reflect and it has improved his own style of leadership. It's a funny question to ask, but the interview subjects, I mean, the likes of your Allardyce's, Deich's, Moyes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you think it's improved their style of leadership, perhaps having time to, you know, take out of their hectic schedule where they're going from Saturday to Saturday, you know, a series of games to reflect on their own leadership style, to put it into writing and into theory about how they go about their day to day. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. The, the, it, it, it's, um, it's got really good backing from the League Managers Association. So they um bought 600 copies they, they liked it so they bought 600 copies and the one went to all the premier league managers and i know there's some there's there's some managers that have been in touch with quite a few managers that have been in touch with mickey um so i i, I wouldn't know directly about all of those people involved but definitely lots of managers have been in touch with mickey and said and some premier league managers some championship managers um I've sent pictures of themselves reading the books to Mickey and said, you know, it's really helped me. Um, and it's something that's talked about a lot in the league managers course. Now I was speaking to um, a guy who's just been on, he manages a, a, a semi-pro team and works for a, for an EFL team. And he said it was very much a talk in the, in the league managers association courses about the books. So that's, that's great to hear. Um, and also, um, uh, though hearing Premier League managers knowing that they've been reading it is terrific too. I know when when um, when Mickey was speaking to David Moyes, David Moyes was 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 Mickey said, well, you know, he was talking about uh, he started Ed Woodward had just started as well, and he said, uh, you know, I've never thought about that that it was actually his first hundred days as well. Um, when we sat with Ollie, Ollie was I was showing Ollie the Stars model that I mentioned before. And he was picking it up and looking at that and, and having a good look at it and thinking, oh, okay, I hadn't really thought about it in that context. Um, so I think just talking about it and asking the questions, the managers were certainly reflecting when we were talking about it. And it's helping on the LMA diploma courses. So um, that's great. And it's been wonderful to have the League Managers Association backing with it because they're the people that, that represent all these... Um, all these uh, managers right from the from the very top of the game to to lower league and semi-pro football um yeah so it's brilliant to to see that and and similarly um in education too i've had so many tweets and messages and people writing to say how much they've enjoyed the book um yeah it's been a, it's been an amazing project to be involved with and um, the, the, the next sort of stage now is looking at, right, well, beyond those 100 days, what do the managers do that have sustained success? So we're already looking at another book now. We've started to talk about it, another book which looks at managers that, that win consistently and how did they go about doing that. So, yeah, it's been an amazing project and something that I think I'm really, yeah, very, very proud of. Yeah, very much second that and would encourage everybody to buy the book or even get the book on Audible. It's a terrific listen. 
that was going to be my next question. Have you any other projects or books in the offing? But um, that's great to hear, Phil. But um, Phil, I mean, should anyone else wish to know more about the book or any projects you're working on currently? Where it's best to get in touch? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. So it's at PhilDenton81. Um, and uh, that's probably the best place to get in touch with me. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn as well. And you can search me on that. And it's really, it's always great to hear from people that have read the book or are interested in talking about it. It's uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. So, you know, it's uh, um, uh, the, the, the more that we can keep learning from each other, the better, I think, in all walks of life. And it's something I'm really keen on in education is that we should be learning from people outside education. And I know Mickey holds that belief as well, is that in sport, people should, well, football people should be working with more with people outside of football as well. So, um, yeah, definitely something that um, um, I'm, I'm really keen to hear from people that have enjoyed it. Even people that don't enjoy it as well. You know, you get 99 really good book reviews and the odd person who doesn't like it and, uh, yeah, <laughs> likes to comment on it on the Amazon book reviews, but... Yeah, it's good to uh, it's good to hear what, what, what the people, things that people don't like help you to improve for next time as well. No, I'd certainly second that once more. I mean, not in terms of the negative book reviews, of course, but being able to cross pollinate from other industries. I had Denny Nay from Southampton on the podcast recently. He spoke as much saying, you know, there when you work in football, you typically speak with people in football who have similar enough ideas, but. As we've seen from this outstanding piece of work alone, Phil, you mean education can help football, football can help education. So why not? But um, Phil, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Really do appreciate you taking out your time. Thanks, Connor. That's been great. Thank you very much.